Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio! Thank you. 
K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. You're listening to the K-I-R-P Radio Show. Stands for keeping it real with Pudgy Miller. I am your monthly guest host, Rocco P. Tonight, tonight we're going to discuss a story. Uh, it kind of, kind of uh, ended to some degree, beginning of the month. But goes back to a uh, yet another instance where a police officer shot an unarmed person, and that person died. And this case was even more extreme. We'll get into the circumstances because the person who was shot uh, was a victim in a complete sense, in a total sense, because the police officer went to the victim's home. And there was no report of crime. A police officer entered the victim's home and then shot a man. It was basically, the report is he was eating ice cream and he didn't respond to verbal commands. But there was no warrant. Uh, uh, the person who was shot and then died that night, later that night, was not wanted. There was no crime that he was involved with. Uh, there is a racial element to this, <clears throat> if only because the victim was black and the uh, the murderer, uh, the police officer who was found guilty of homicide, uh, is white. And interesting, interestingly enough, too, uh, it was a she. It was a woman. We're going to look at the case, and I think there's a lot of angles to this story. I'm going to break down the facts, what happened why it was uh, just such an egregious injustice. Uh, murder is obviously always wrong, but in this case, it was uh, it was just it was excessive as far as uh, the circumstances surrounding it. How incredibly wrong it was! Uh, just how the the level of injustice was off the chart. And and yes, if you follow the story, yes, uh, the police officer was indicted and then found guilty of murder, not manslaughter, but only sentenced to 10 years, and they're appealing that now. We'll see how much time she serves. This happened in Texas. Uh, this happened in Texas. <coughs> this, uh, this occurred September 6, 2018. September 6, 2018. You had, uh, you had an off-duty police officer who was still in uniform, and I read she came off of 13 and a half hours work. Uh, another report said 15 hours. I think most instances said it was 13 and a half hours. So that wasn't quite a double shift. It wasn't quite eight to eight. You got back to back 16 hours. But uh, it was at least 13 and a half hours. That's a lot of hours. She went to her apartment complex, her apartment building, and her story, which appears to be credible, at least this part, is that she went to what she thought was her apartment, but she was actually on the wrong floor. She claims when she arrived then, and this goes back September 6th, night September 6th, 2018, right before 10 p.m., that the door was ajar in what she thought was her apartment. So she immediately drew her weapon. She claims the light was dark in the apartment that she thought was hers. She told the person who shouldn't be there, 
I guess, to do something. She said verbal orders I never read, not that I've read. Uh, I've read exhaustively, but you know, I've read a fair amount about the case. But uh, this was stressed by her as a police person that the person she thought was in her apartment, of course it was not her apartment, she was wrong, uh, did not obey her verbal orders. And she shot him twice in the torso, and uh, he died later that night. People have made a lot out. Uh, some people would maintain that you know she she knew it wasn't her apartment. Uh, it would appear she was genuinely confused. But the issue, with, as far as the law is this: being confused doesn't give you the right to kill someone. Uh, being confused does not give you the right to kill someone. Being tired doesn't give you the right to kill someone. Thinking uh, someone is in your apartment when you're in their apartment doesn't give you the right to kill someone. Uh, if, in fact, it did occur, as she stated, and that's highly debatable, because as we'll get into the report, we'll get into some the report. First off, uh, the way the apartment complex w was set up, the locks were similar to what you see in, if you've been to uh, motels or hotels where they've gone with you know, keyless entry. You just use a key type card. In this case, it was a, uh, it was like a credit card key. You could, we could use a code. I believe there's a code, not a, not that you slide a, 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 a like a credit card in like they do in the motels. It was a similar system where it was keyless, and you'd use a code. The way the doors were set up, similar to a modern motel or hotel, is that the doors, you had know, the spring action, it locks behind you. So the fact that she claimed the door was ajar is, uh, I would say, at the very least, highly suspicious. It's, it's just not probable. It's just not probable. I read more than once that there were witnesses that said they heard her banging on the door, which makes it all the more disgusting that she was banging on a door that wasn't her own, and someone answers, she doesn't recognize him, and then just shoots him, and just kills him. That's apparently what happened. But let's say, let's say it didn't happen that way. Let's say it happened precisely the way she said. The door was ajar. She was tired and disoriented. She thought it was her apartment. She goes in. The guy is literally eating ice cream on his couch. No one debates that. She gave him some verbal orders, and then he didn't obey. He was under no obligation to obey orders in his own apartment when she was the intruder, when she was breaking the law. The fact, even if the door was ajar, that didn't give her the right tent in her apartment, even though she thought it was her own. And then, of course, what was said a lot at the trial is why, why, why did she shoot the guy twice in the chest? The amazing thing as this unraveled in, in the courtroom and uh, they had dropped, I forget, you know, I forget the exact days, but they had switched the, uh, the district attorney had switched the charges from manslaughter to murder early on, but she admitted on the stand she intended to kill him. And that's really the story behind the story here. Not just the fact that obviously you know, she admitted uh, she murdered him, and then you know, she only got 10 years. Texas has a death penalty, incidentally. No one seemed to really uh, mention that in any of the uh, mainline news reports I, uh, I read, or even the, in the so-called alternative or uh, new media you know, sites, sites like Free Thought Project, the, 
does a lot of really, really good work, uh, especially on police brutality, police criminality, crimes that police carry out in the states on a regular basis. But no one seemed to mention that the Texas did have the death penalty, and that seemed to have never been on the table. You know, unless I'm wrong, unless that changed, I know, you know Texas has the death penalty, Texas uses the death penalty. But uh, it was up there for like life imprisonment, and uh, it got to 10 years again. Jury voted on that. Uh, it doesn't appear that was a racial element in the decision at all. It appears uh, it was more a cop think and uh, people believing in the state and not the right of individuals. Uh, and that's where a lot of the problem lies, that people are trusting the system, particularly in terms of law enforcement, and they should not. They should not. The fact that she was an off-duty police officer really means with her knowing the law that she should have been held more accountable, not less. Uh, and it's just, it, it, it's still so amazing that uh, it, it took long, it, it took days for her to be charged, even for manslaughter. Uh, it's, it, it was it was amazing. And, you know, there were protests there. You know, it was in Dallas. There were protests and all. You know, which in general, you know, that was good. I don't think you should disrupt traffic. That happened on one occasion, but the protests were good. Drew attention towards it. The way it ended is what I focus on towards the end of the show. The unexpected response in the court of the victim's brother. Uh, uh, the victim, both of them, Jean or Jean. Uh, from St. Louis, I believe, was, uh, by all accounts, a devoted Christian. And I say in the true sense of the word, a born-again believer. I believe he was a brother in Christ. Uh, he believed the gospel. Um, it certainly appears he believed at an individual level that he was a sinner, and he understood he deserved God's condemnation, and he trusted Christ as a Savior. He wasn't just active in his church. He had a he had a very vibrant testimony, and certainly his brother did too. So we'll look at we'll look at those facts. We'll drill down. I want to look at the case, and I want to stress one of my main themes tonight is police should, as I've already stated, police should be held to a higher standard, not a lower standard, when you're a law enforcement officer. Okay, police should be held to a higher standard, not a lower standard. Time and time and time again, in this case, sad to say, is dramatic and this disgusting example of the fact that a police officer was held to a lower standard, not a higher standard. If the table was turned around, let's say it was, forget the racial element, let's say it was both them, both them Gene or anyone else, both them Jean and, or anyone else, and he had went to the off-duty cop's apartment, the officer's apartment, and the doors ajar, even though I don't think it was ajar based upon the way the doors doors were locked. And this was someone that was legally carrying concealed. And he walked in, thing was his apartment, and then he shot the the off-duty officer twice in the chest. And then she would have died later that night. Do you think uh, he would have been charged with manslaughter? murder from day one, and do you think once he was convicted, uh, do you think he would have gotten 10 years? I think you know where I'm going with that. No, 
No, he would have he would have immediately been arrested. He would have immediately been charged with murder, and then they would have basically thrown the book at him. I believe the prosecutors. I read one article that the prosecution, or at the very least, the lawyer of the family, wanted a minimum of 26 or 28 years for her to be incarcerated for this. And she got 10. That's on appeal. We'll see. We'll see how much time she does. I know years and years ago, going back. Uh, probably pre-1990, I read some stats where New Jersey had the lowest number of years that you got for first-time conviction for uh, first-time conviction for murder. New Jersey, it was just over two years. That was That's old numbers. That was years ago. But we're going to look at the case again, what we'll look at in more detail. Uh, first, I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to play a video talks about uh, what happened. Uh, this video, I think, was put together uh, after the indictment, after the indictment on murder. So I'm, I'm going to play this video first. Let me pull that up. both of John's apartment. It's where the 26-year-old's young life was cut short when he was shot by a police officer in his living room. A small memorial, flowers, and a photo with his mother adorn his front door. At 26 years old, he had done so much. With permission from the family, we are getting a look inside Botham's apartment. It's a typical single man's apartment, except for the bullet hole in the wall indicated by an evidence marking more than six feet high. There's also a pool of blood on the floor, which we will not show you. There's laundry piled on the couch, and Botham's half-eaten bowl of cereal still had milk in it. He may have been reading one of the many books littering the apartment before he was shot and killed by Officer Amber Geiger. This is video witnesses of Amber Geiger pacing around upset moments after the shooting. Officer Geiger tells investigators she shot John after mistaking his apartment for her own. Geiger tells investigators that after work, she parked her car on the wrong floor, walked to the wrong apartment, and that John's door was slightly open. In her statement to police, Geiger says she gave verbal commands before firing two shots. Lee Merritt says witnesses tell a different story. They both heard a knock uh, or a pounding on the door, followed by a female's voice saying, open up, let me in. She said the voice didn't sound like a, an officer command, but sounded like someone who wanted to be let into the apartment. Um, she said that was shortly followed by the sound of gunshots and the sound of a man's voice saying what she believed to be, oh, my God, why did you do that? The John family's attorney and the family are now upset by the leak of a search warrant that indicates officers went inside John's apartment looking for drugs. Officers say they did find and remove several items, including a small amount of marijuana. The warrant does not indicate who the items belong to. It's unknown if a search warrant was executed at the officer's apartment. 26 years on this earth, uh, he lived his life virtually without blemish. And it took being murdered by a Dallas police officer for Botham Jean to suddenly become a criminal. There is a clear intent here to smear, to smear the name of Botham Jean. During a moving funeral service, we learned much more about John and his accomplishments. Family and friends talked openly about his love of people, for singing, and the fact that he was a high-achieving employee 
on a partnership track at the accounting firm PwC. PwC is hurting. Not just in Dallas, but all across our country. He was so joyful, and we know how much he loved to sing. You know, he was the biggest extroverted accountant you'd ever find. Amber Geiger is on administrative leave during the investigation, and the DA's office will take the case before a grand jury to determine the next course of action. CNN has reached out to the officer Geiger's attorney, and they have not returned our calls for a heartbroken mother wants answers. So I'm calling on the Dallas official. Please, come clean. Give me justice for my son, because he does not deserve what he got. Ryan Young, CNN Dallas. So, uh, interesting overview video there. Uh, that was uh, I was in Diamond again initially. It was manslaughter, then it went to murder. Uh, some of the facts here uh, was interesting the way it, uh, the way it unfolded. Uh, again, going to the door thing. To me, it's almost a moot point. Yes, it's worse if she was banging on the door to get in if she was that disoriented. People pointed out before and during the trial, uh, there was a red mat in front of his door. She had none in front of hers. On the floor she was at, you know, people had plants and stuff. There was none on her floor. So that just shows, I mean, if her story was completely true, and that part of the story appears to be true, yeah, you know, she was she was whacked out of her minds, and uh, it had mentioned that CNN piece. They didn't know at that time uh, if a warrant had been issued on her. It never was, and then she got out of that apartment soon. Anyway, she got all of her stuff out, which was uh, it was also, of course, you know, it was it was wicked. They were trying to smear both of them, uh, John, and they found a little bit of weed when I uh, had nothing to do. He had never been arrested, and that had absolutely nothing to do with her killing him, none whatsoever. But that's that's how the way the police and uh, the corrupt system works. Uh, they release that. They release that information to attempt to smear and impugn his character. She, she on the other hand, was a whore. Yeah, she was a whore. Uh, Amber Geiger was a whore. She was sleeping with her married male partner. And uh, for a long time, they they uh, they held a text that she exchanged with him that night, and uh, yeah, she had said, uh, "Oh, it was it, it wasn't anything anymore because I knew it wasn't right." And yeah, she was talking about how much she wanted to have sex with him, but it was all over. It was all over before that night, and the prosecution basically had argued that you know she was distracted. That was part of the tiredness because she was preoccupied with wanting to be with uh, that person. Again, not a big point. Uh, the reality is this. She went to a door that wasn't hers. She may or may not have banged on it, may or may not have been a jar. But she was out of her mind. She was completely out of her mind. And the angle, a fact that is lost on a lot of people, including the alternative media, the new media on this, is that the reason police react the way she did is for years they've been receiving military training. That's right, police for years had been receiving military and paramilitary training. That's why they shoot on site, okay? 
Now check, check out this simple fact. Whether the door was ajar or not, and again, it is worse if you knock on the door, you don't have the right to shoot somebody because you feel threatened. Okay, you don't have the right to kill somebody because you feel threatened. You just, you don't do that. That should be common sense, but police, again, are not held to a higher standard. They're held to a lower standard. I'm going to play in a few minutes her 911 call, and you're here. It's, that's very disgusting. I'll point out a few things. One thing that jumped out of me when I, when I listened to it, I've listened to it twice now, is that when she calls and she gets a dis, the, you know, when she gets the 911 dispatcher, she immediately says, I'm an off-duty police officer. Yeah, okay. That had nothing to do with the fact that she just killed somebody in cold blood who was innocent. It had nothing to do. But again, this is cop speak. You know, we're in a police state. You have to understand that. If you think I'm exaggerating that, okay, go to John Whitehead's website, okay, Rutherford Institute. Just, yeah, go to startpage.com or duckduckgo.com, put in the Rutherford Institute or John Whitehead, and just read his articles, okay. He's also written a book on it. Yeah, just, just read, read it if you think we're not in a police state. Police have, have been receiving paramilitary and military training for years. And this is why she thought in her mind that she, if, even if she did give the guy verbal commands, he wasn't obligated to obey in his own apartment, okay? You can't just kill somebody because you feel frightened. And this is happening all over the country with police. Again, you think I'm exaggerating, go to, go to freethoughtproject.com. Go to free, freethoughtproject.com or copblock.com, too. And you can see over... And over and over again, police will instigate violence, and police have literally gotten away with murder. You had you had one case, I believe, it was in uh, and they're shooting they're shooting dogs too. Same thing with military training, and now in today's world, with cowardly police, if you feel threatened by a dog, regardless of the size, you just kill it. There was a case, I believe, it was in Florida, a police officer shot shot a chihuahua to death. He felt threatened. And this is what's happening with people. You just, you feel threatened. You just kill them. And again, she admitted, she admitted to her credit during the trial that she wanted to kill him. She wasn't shooting to stop him or anything. And the reality is, he was no threat to her. You know, what did he say when she came in? I'm sure he probably said, can I help you, officer? And he's eating a bowl of ice cream, or they said cereal in the last, in that video, and she thought, she honestly thought that he was there, you know, burglarizing her place. Again, the reality is, because of the, milita the military and paramilitary training that police have, have received and that she received, and also, you know, the propaganda, the mind control, the filth that they pump into police officers' minds that the public is the enemy. They're not there to protect and serve people. They're there to oppress people. So in her mind, it doesn't matter that none, none of that, you know, with all of her training, okay, and a lot of it, again, a lot of it, again, it's, it's brainwashing, and her mind's been contaminated by, you know, this, you know, filthy hyper-military, you know, paramilitary training. And, again, the propaganda they receive that says the public is the enemy and they're not there to protect and preserve and protect, uh, you know, the public and serve them. So in her mind, 
as a cop, it was totally logical. Okay, I'm in my apartment. He shouldn't be there. I'm going to kill him. It's that simple. Not am I am, am, is my life in threat? Is is anything is anything about this person I'm seeing threat? No, no. He shouldn't be here. I'm going to kill him. I'm a cop. That's the reality. I mean, that is that is the reality. She shot him twice. She knew what she was doing. In all probability, that was hollow points. Yeah, she killed him. Again, to her credit. At least I'm glad, I'm glad she admitted that uh, when she was on trial, yeah, that she intended to kill him. That part, that part was good. That was a good, honest admission by her. As far as the door being ajar and you know, not obeying commands, whatever those commands were, that all that is highly, highly, highly suspect. But ultimately, that uh, that that doesn't really uh, that that stuff doesn't matter as much. It really doesn't. I'm gonna play. The 911 clip may not play all. It's like five minutes, but um, the points I'm going to stress is, yeah, think how many times on this, yeah, she initially states she's an off-duty cop, and with all of her training too, okay, was her concern when she called 911? You could listen. Was her concern, let's save this guy's life, that I shot an accident, or was her concern for herself? was concerned for herself and in particular her job. What was she concerned about? Yeah, that's not on one. This is Carla. Where's your Hi. emergency? Hi, this is an um, off-duty officer. Um, can I get, I need EMS. Um, uh, I'm in number. Um, What's your address? Do you need police as well or just EMS? Yes, I need both. Okay, what's the address? I'm at apartment number 1478. I'm in 1478. And what's the address there? Um, it's 1210 South Lamar, 1478. Yeah. What's going on? I'm an off-duty officer. I thought it was in my apartment, and I shot a guy thinking that he was thinking it was my apartment. He shot someone? Yes, I thought it was my apartment. I'm f- Oh my god. I'm sorry. Okay, and the, where, where are you at right now? I'm in. Uh, what do you mean? I'm inside the apartment with him. Hey, come on. What's your name? I'm Amber Geiger. I need to get me. I'm. I'm in. Okay, we have help on the way. I know, but uh-huh. I'm. I'm gonna lose my job. I thought it was my apartment. Okay, I'm hey, Hold on. Okay, stay with me, okay? I am. I am. I need. I need my needs supervised. Hey, bud. Hey, bud. Hey, bud. Come on. I thought it was my apartment. I understand. Uh, we, we have help on the way. Okay, Hurry, please. They're on their way. I, I, I thought it was my apartment. I thought it was my apartment. I could have sworn I parked on the third floor. Okay, I understand. No. I thought it was my apartment. 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 And the, what's the gate code there? 
I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? Okay. I need I thought it was my apartment. They're trying to get in there. They're, we have an officer there. You don't know the gate code? No. I thought it was my apartment. I thought it was my apartment. Okay, and what, what floor are you in right now? The fourth floor. Fourth. Hey, bud. Hey, bud. They're coming. They're bud. I'm sorry, man. Okay, where was she? Where was he shot? He's on the top, top left. Okay, you're with Dallas PD, right? Yes. Oh my God, I'm done. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. Hey, bud. So, she said a lot. I thought it was my apartment. I thought it was my apartment. I thought it was my apartment. Early on, she said, I'm going to lose my job. See, in, in her mind, you might think what I'm about to say is terribly critical and cynical, but in her mind as a cop, uh, she wasn't even thinking about getting charged with any crime because she was a cop. You remember she called, I'm an off-duty officer. Okay. What do they tell you, incidentally? Uh, what do they tell you, incidentally? If you arrive at your home and you believe there's been a break-in, uh, the official the official story, they say, is you don't go in. Yeah. So she had no explanation. She's there. She's an off-duty cop. The door's ajar, so she had reason to believe if that part of the story was true, if she wasn't banging on the door to get into her own place. Uh if that part of the story was true, either one, whether she was banging on the door and someone showed up who shouldn't have been there, or it was actually a jar, which probably wasn't true, in any case, what she should have done was call the police officers. And she said she was sorry. She didn't mean to. During the 911 call, yet on the stand, she said she intended to kill him. So I guess... If you kind of conflate both of them, she was saying, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to kill you because you weren't guilty. I was confused and it wasn't my apartment, but she wanted to kill him again. I appreciate the fact she admitted that on the stand. The other thing that's disturbing, if you see any of the videos, is that they had hall videos and a lot of this, you know, people, you know, the police wouldn't release any of this stuff on. Uh, Again, it's uh, people should go to jail. I mean, uh, people should be charged. The fact that they never issued a, uh, they never issued a warrant for her place, that's beyond belief. And there also should have been blood. There also should have been blood alcohol test on her. She could have easily, easily been high. Easily. She could have easily been on drugs. That she was that disoriented. That not only did she, was she on the wrong floor, but again, all the markings that indicate that the red, the red doormat in front of his place that she didn't have, you know, the plants on that floor, things like that. But you know, none of that was issued.
None of that was issued. The thing that's really disturbing is when you see the hall video, she's pacing around. Again, getting back to her high-powered police officer training, she should have been well-trained in first aid. There was no indication, aside from saying, hey, bud, she was trying to really stop the bleeding. There was none whatsoever. She was concerned about her butt. She was concerned about losing her job. That's what she was concerned about. That was all indications. And we'll see some more about her and uh, some of the other pieces that I have. Because, again, thanks to the alternative or new media, they publicize stuff that other people uh, did not want to publicize. I had mentioned I had mentioned door locks there too. Uh, that is uh, that's a valid uh, that's a valid point. Uh, let me see if I can pull that one up. I think I think we had that. I think I covered that a little bit. I think this is in the first video. Uh, the Dallas Morning News reported in October that the city claimed they can't release the 911 calls because they ruined their investigation. This is from a free thought, free thought project piece by Matt Agaris. That's probably a pseudonym. April 30th, 2019. The Dallas Morning News reported in October the city claimed they can't release the 911 calls because it would ruin their investigation. However, main departments across the country quickly release 911 call recordings soon after they're made. This doesn't seem to enter the investigation at all. But it's not just 911 recordings. According to the Dallas Morning News, other records that police and prosecutors refuse to release include Geiger's personnel file, records related to a shooting of a man she said took her taser during a struggle in 2017, Geiger's clock in and clock out, times the day of the shooting, Geiger's annual salary, previous administrative leave with the department, other 911 calls about the shooting, which would have been very informative, Geiger's work schedule, body camera and dash cam, cam videos, and any off-duty job she was approved to work. They have also refused to release the results for a drug and alcohol test the public was told she was given that night. On the contrary, however, the police had no problem releasing the information about the victim. On the day the mother had to bury her son, police chose to release the results of that search warrant, claiming they found that tiny bit of marijuana. Adding to the city's nature of their investigation is the fact that no search warrant was ever executed on Geiger's apartment. That is corruption. That is corruption. And then she had left the, she had left the department. Another free thought project uh, piece. At no time, according to the warrant, does, does Geiger say what verbal commands she gave. What's more, any verbal commands she did give were entirely irrelevant as she was the intruder, not Jean, not John. Tending to imply that both of John was somehow at fault for his own death for disobeying the commands of a homicidal, disoriented, uh, stupid, whore cop who just illegally broke into his home is also as re irresponsible as it is reprehensible. What's more, according to the attorneys for Jean, when Geiger was on the phone with police, she had to go outside to verify the address of the apartment, implying she knew she was in the wrong apartment from the start. That that I take issue with. I don't think she did uh, as homicidal as she was. I think she, she realized it after she shot him. I don't think she did it before then. That's possible. Not, not, again, nothing's really come up yet at this point that uh, – 
you know, they knew each other uh, too well before this. There was any reason that she had a premeditated reason to do that. So that that direction I'm not going in. A quote from the fact that when you look at an affidavit, and I'm thinking that I'm at my house and I call 911 because someone was just shot, Attorney Darrell Washington said, well, the very first thing that I'm going to do is I'm not going to go outside and look at my address. I'm going to give them my address right there on the phone. I'm going to say I'm on the phone. My address is this. Why does she have to go outside to verify the address? Okay, my, my explanation again, she did that because she realized after she killed him and she did intend to kill him, then she realized it wasn't her place. Uh, so again, we had those witnesses saying they heard her pounding the door, but none of those seemed to have come out. But I mentioned the automatic closing system. It's unlikely that the door was ajar at all. She had faced anywhere once she was found guilty from 5 to 99 years in prison. As far as the racial composition of the jury, if you care, I think uh, there are only two white folk on the jury, if that matters. There are only two. Uh, prosecutors also asserted that Geiger should have done more to try and help John after she shot him. Was more concerned about herself. I think that's very obvious. I think it's very obvious. You know, was he going to throw the ice cream or the bowl of cereal at her? That's, uh, that's a valid point. It's a very valid point. You know, she tried to say early on, I was scared he was going to kill me, based upon what? With what weapon? Why, what, how, how is that going to happen? But again, this is cop think. These are cops that are under mind control, whose minds have been bastardized through propaganda, who uh, are told the people they're supposed to serve and protect are the enemy. That's part of the problem, besides the paramilitary training that they receive, why they shoot on sight, why they're killing dogs and now human beings when they feel threatened, whatever that is, when they feel threatened. Uh, this was very interesting. Uh, prosecutors also introduced evidence that uh, should have weighed in favor of heavy, heavier sentence against Geiger, including her police disciplinary history, her social media posts espousing violence, we'll get to those, and text messages with racially offensive language. Uh, one meme Geiger saved on Pinterest read, quote, people are so ungrateful, no one ever thanks me for having the patience not to kill them. Okay, did you catch that? She thought that was cute, she thought that was funny, she posted that on Pinterest, quote, people are so ungrateful, no one ever thanks me for having the patience not to kill them. See, People talk in the police state we're in where you, know, you want to glorify you know, you want to glorify the military. And now civilians aren't just people that aren't in the military, civilians are people that aren't cops. Okay. You know, that that change occurred a couple of years ago. But they want to glorify and yeah, you know, say people in the military, especially police, you know, they're serving the public and uh they're above us. Yeah, that they're not below us in our service, they're above us. Okay. And people talk about having a zero tolerance for uh, you know, violence against police. When this was out, if anyone, anyone, anyone in the Dallas Police Department knew she had posted that, she should have been terminated then. Because if you think if that is if you think that's funny and you're walking around with a badge and a gun and you think you think it's funny that no one thanks you for having the patience not to kill them. Uh, 
you don't believe you don't belong on the force. There, you know, she should have been fired for that alone. For that alone, racial stuff. That's disgusting. Uh, that's disgusting. If that was if that was real, something else. Here, here's another print, Pinterest post. I wear all black to remind you not to mess with me because I'm already dressed for your funeral. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. I wear all black to remind you not to mess with me because I'm already dressed for your funeral. And then beneath that image said, yeah, I got me a gun, a shovel, and gloves. And if I were you, back the blank up and get get out of me blank, blank. Uh, the racial stuff, all they got was uh, going back to a text message from Geiger's phone. She worked Martin Luther Jr. Day Parade in Dallas 2018 when she received the message action when the parade ended. She responded when MLK is dead. Oh, wait. So, yeah, that's not good. I wouldn't I wouldn't can you for that. But uh, when you're allegedly are a peace officer and you're there to serve and protect the public and you think it's funny that you don't kill people, uh, nah, you don't belong on the force. That's the real problem here that a lot of people, they're just, they're not discussing that. They're not discussing that. The ten-year, the ten-year sentence. Uh, a lot could be said on that. Uh, like I said, I think it's interesting that the death penalty wasn't even on the, uh, wasn't even on the uh, table. But I'm going to play uh, to show you what happened. Okay. To and again, I thank the Free Thought Project for this. Okay. I'll quote from a piece here. They said. We, we here at the Free Thought Project don't believe in applying special privilege to someone based on their occupation. The fact that the jury was okay with the 99-year sentence because a person who, who was kicked is a cop is disheartening, to say the least. Okay, this is true. In, in Dallas, uh, not in Dallas, in Texas, okay, not too far away from Dallas, I'm going to play the, the uh, piece here from News 12. Someone got 99 years for kicking a cop. 99 years for kicking a cop. Okay. This was in Denison, Denison, Texas. The Denison man was sentenced to almost 100 years in prison, all for kicking a police officer earlier this year. The officer was not seriously hurt. News 12 Stan Smith talked to prosecutors after the judge handed down his punishment. He joins us live in the studio. Stan, why such a steep punishment? Jen Dan, 59-year-old Donnie Mills, will spend 99 years in prison for assaulting a Denison police officer. This body cam footage shows the moment when he kicked Officer Chris Bell back in April as he was getting loaded on a gurney inside a local hospital. But prosecutors say the reason his sentence was so high is that he's a repeat offender. You're a on April 26th, Officer Chris Bell clocked Donnie Mills speeding on Highway 91. Bell pulled Mills over and says he smelled alcohol on his breath, which Mills says he admitted to drinking earlier in the day. Mills was arrested for driving while intoxicated and was taken to a local hospital for a blood sample. That's when Mills began to act hostile. I don't give a Mills then started to threaten Officer Bell. Moments later, Mills was placed on a gurney for a blood sample. That's when he kicked Mills in the face. Bell was not seriously hurt 
and didn't need medical attention. The blood sample showed Mills' blood alcohol content was nearly two and a half times the legal limit. This isn't Mills' first run-in with the law as he has been to prison for drugs, burglary, aggravated assault on a public servant, and felony DWI. He has a 40-year criminal history going back starting in 1979 with his first DWI, and uh, he has been to the uh, penitentiary for five different felonies. The verdict was handed down by the jury Wednesday morning after just one day in court. The Grayson County jury, the citizens of Grayson County have a zero tolerance for violence on peace officers, and I think that's a loud and clear message. This defendant will have the rest of his life to think about his actions. Grayson County District Attorney Brett Smith says Mills will be up for parole in 24 years. Live in the studio, Stan Smith, News 12. All right. The innocent man was sentenced to almost 100 years. So there you have it. Uh, the guy was arrested, uh, DWI, smelled alcohol in his breath. And to the credit of Dennis and PD, I'll say one thing positive. They didn't draw his blood on the side of the road. We've got vampire cops got vampire police all over, all over the country now. Yeah, and uh, with little or no training, they're just drawing blood themselves forcibly against people. That's a felony. That should be a felony, and that should be assault. Okay, no one should be able to do that if you're not, if you don't consent. They should obviously then take you to a hospital, like with this guy, and then you know let them draw it. Yeah, but we got police across the country now drawing blood, so they did that. The guy's upset. Obviously, he's drunk out of his mind. And he tries to kick a guy in the face. And as they said in the report, there was no injury to the guy. They considered that a felony. Sentenced him to 99 years. So he's eligible. So he's going over 24 years for a slight kick to a guy that didn't cause any injury to a cop person. Then you have an off-duty cop person who is so whacked out of her mind, who's a proven whore, who talked about... Uh, thinking it's funny that she didn't kill people, goes into a farm she's not her own, admits on the stand she wanted to kill a guy who was no threat to her. And she gets 10 years, she'll probably, what's she going to do? I don't know, four? Two, and they're appealing that. So this is the world we live in, in the States. I mean, it, it is a police state. And the way the new world order, the power elite, the powers it shouldn't be, what they want to do is obviously – they have, they have a variety, variety of plans. They want order out of chaos. Yes, they want, they want to rip the social fabric of society apart. That's what's a good part of the transgender, the transgender agenda. Uh, you know, trying, you're trying to destroy the nuclear family, uh, militant feminism, militant homosexuality, all the sexual deviance. They want to force feed us and shove down our throat. Another thing they're doing with the police is. They basically want to provoke people, and of course, the mind control police don't realize this. They want to provoke violence against the police because, ultimately, I mean, eventually it's going to happen. A cop is going to, you know, he's going to rape the wrong person, and, you know, someone is going to show up at the cop's house and just blow his head off. Stuff like that is bound to happen. It's bound to happen. I would never advocate violence against anyone. I would never advocate taking the law in your own hands against anyone. But when this type of activity is going to happen more and more and more against the public, obviously there's going to be a response. That's what the New World Order wants. And the, the poor mind-controlled police, yeah, yeah, it's just being manipulated. They don't realize they're being set up for this. And then, obviously, after when police, if that does happen, 
they're going to use that. They're going to basically say, okay, you know, this is this is terrorist, especially it's a white person that does it. You know, it's a white terrorist. Uh, they're going to say everyone's a terrorist then. If you question police authority, you're a terrorist. It's just going to make the police that are under mind control who now, you know, they're they're basically – they're terribly, they're terrible cowards in good part of the country. That you know, they're killing Chihuahuas, killing innocent people. They feel threatened. You know, you don't you don't obey verbal commands, whether or not those verbal commands are legal and lawful. Um, they're just killing people. When this progresses, you know, there's going to be there's going to be backlash against the police, and then the police are going to get more cowardly and kill more people. And what's that going to lead to? More violence against them. And then, what do you have? You'll have de facto martial law. Yeah, it'll happen in certain cities. You know, people are already disarmed. The New York City people disarmed in Chicago, but that's the game plan. They want to provoke the police. Don't realize this. They want to provoke violence against the police. But you know, the U.S. public—they've been very, very restrained. They've been very restrained over time. When uh, after after the act after the decision went down, uh, it was. It was really stunning, and you know, that's, uh, that's one word here from a place, a stunning display of true gospel reconciliation for the world to see. There's uh, one site, uh, I won't mention it, uh, but you know, you know, written by people, you know, fellow believers, and uh, they talked about what happened because uh, both of them, John's brother, not only publicly forgave Amber Geiger, uh, on the stand, but uh, he basically uh, uh, he asked the hugger, <laughs> and he said some amazing things. He says, "Hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to go to jail because my brother wouldn't want you to go to jail." When that happened, I'll see if I could pull up that video. After that happened, the response was really, really disgusting from the so-called left, because what they did is you just heard my opinion now for yeah about. 40 minutes about exactly what I think Amber Geiger, exactly what I think the Dallas Police Department, exactly what I think the police state, and exactly what I think of the criminal justice system. You just heard my opinion. Um, it was wonderful <laughs> that both of them, John's brother, forgave her, because that's an individual thing. This is, this is what people don't understand as far as the spiritual dimension of life. And this is where the radical left is you know being manipulated to rip rip the social fabric of the country apart. Everything for them is collective. Everything is collective. Is collective. So in other words, this is part of you know the mind control and the radical left for reparations. For reparations, uh, it doesn't matter you know the tiny amount of people that had slaves. It doesn't matter that black people sold blacks into slavery for Africa. It doesn't matter. The, the, on the facts don't matter. They just want reparations. They want money back to further destroy the fabric of society. But it's the idea that at the individual level, you can't forgive someone if there's an injustice. Of course, of course, Geiger was treated wrong. Of course, she should have had the book thrown at her. <laughs> a guy in Denison, yeah, kicks a cop, brushes his face, he requires no medical attention, and he gets 99 years, eligible for all in 26. She doesn't even, she gets 10, which they're appealing, and she admitted on the stand she wanted to kill a guy. So, of course, it was unjust, but at the personal level, if you understand the basics of the Bible, of course, it was great that he forgave her. Why? Well, first off, 
it's real clear. If you understand, if you're forgiven, if you're born again, believe you understand, you deserve hell. Every individual is a sinner by nature. We're born sinners. We're sinners by choice. You don't have to tell a child as the child grows up uh, what to do wrong. The child will naturally lie. A child will naturally disobey and misbehave. Why? Because he's born with a sin nature. Uh, uh, we're sinners. Uh, we sin because we're sinners, because we have a sin nature. God's standard of righteousness is 100% perfection. God is completely holy, totally righteous. The only way God could accept a sinner is through the sacrificial death of Christ. Now, we understand that it involves the doctrine of grace, meaning you don't deserve it or earn it. You never could. God, because he loved, because he loved the world, gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, nothing outside of God, because God's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, nothing forced God to do that, to take on human flesh and remain man in Christ and then go to the cross. Nothing. God did that due to his love. And so when you understand that as a believer, you realize, hey, I deserve hell, and now I'm, I have eternal life. I'm going to live with God forever in heaven. And now I'm motivated to live this life for God, for his glory. When you understand that, you realize no matter how horrible things happen, whatever happens to you, okay, you're, you're obligated due to grace as an individual believer to forgive people because you know you could never have earned God's favor. You can never do it. No, no good acts, no, no acts of righteousness, no good works, no good deeds could ever make you right in God's sight. It would only be through trusting what Christ did. Christ, who was sinless, accepted the penalty of death for sinners, and then when you trust him, then God sees Christ's righteousness in you. The theological word for that is justification. Just, justification being declared. God declares the sinner. with He accounts the sinner with Christ's righteousness. He declares him righteous because God then sees the, Christ's righteousness in the place of the sinner. Once the sinner repents and trusts Christ, the exchange takes place. Christ, who was sinless, died in the place of the sinner. That was the substitutionary death. You trust Christ. God sees Christ's righteousness in you. When you understand that, you realize that you can never earn God's favor. So it was an incredible act of grace, an incredible display of what the gospel is all about, that both of John's brother forgave her. However, there's always temporal consequences to sin, and that doesn't mean you know, those consequences aren't real. Again, on his personal opinion is that he said, hey, she, he wouldn't want to see her go to jail, and his brother would. That's fine. Okay? But they don't make that decision. Okay. It wasn't up to them. It wasn't up to them. But it's great. If you don't forgive someone, I think uh, uh, both of John's brother understood this, understand what I'm about to say, that if you don't, then it doesn't hurt the person who hurt you. You destroy yourself. We live in an age where you know, another, another control mechanism the New World Order has is the pharmaceutical industry that we're a nation of drug addicts. Yeah. I don't have numbers for you tonight. I didn't wasn't talking tonight about about pharmaceutical drugs and that we're a nation of drug addicts. You're probably familiar with the so called opioid epidemic. But they know the doctors that are over prescribing. Okay. And here's another fact. Doctors that aren't even psychiatrists are prescribing psych meds to people. You see how many drug stores are out there? People are addicted to drugs. I mean I'm not talking illegal. I'm talking illegal. I'm talking legal prescription drugs. We're a nation of drug addicts. 
poisoned because they've never forgiven people. Okay? This is again, you know, blaming you know so-called left to a large degree, and you know, obviously the right has their own problems because they believe in the police state, they believe in perpetual war, it's unconstitutionally legal and immoral, uh, they believe in this deification of the police, but the problem with the left here is, you know, if everyone's a victim, no one's guilty. Uh, not forgiving people. It's a personal thing. This isn't a community thing. This isn't. This isn't a collective thing. Okay. At the individual level, if you don't realize that by not forgiving someone, it makes you, it poisons you, yeah, then you have problems in life. And this is where a lot of people, a lot of people are taking these psych meds. A lot of people are taking these psych meds. I'm going to try and pull up the actual words then from uh, Botham John's brother. See what he said and what set people off. We've got a lot of people on the so-called left very angry. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that, but I just I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt, all the things the bad things you may have done in the past, each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? 
please? on the so-called left uh, were aghast at that. They were uh, they were repulsed by it, and it goes back again to the perversion of morality, the perversion of morality, inversion of morality. That collectively, collectively, it was inappropriate. It was wrong, morally wrong, for the black victims, brother, obviously who is black, to then forgive the guilty white police officer at the individual level. Once again, you have to understand that this isn't it's not a collective sin is not a collective issue. Okay, it's collective in the sense that every individual is guilty before God who's totally holy and righteous. But uh no no society is going to go to heaven. No country is going to heaven. Uh, individuals go to heaven. Individuals have to repent. And it was amazing that uh that the young man uh, was able to articulate uh, that he was not bitter, and they did forgive her, and that uh, he said, you know, his brother wanted to come to Christ. That's the most important thing. You know, I, I, I use this program as a platform. You know, I rant about, you know, political and social issues, but ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, no, uh, no political or social action uh, it'll change people, and you know there could be some effect, you know, beyond the individual level. Uh, but that's not going to change anyone for eternity. Only the gospel could do that. So that's why it's it, it's terrible. It's terrible. He had one one former professor from Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, Jamar Tisby, and uh, he he was just. He, he was repulsed by it. I, I don't believe he was a Christian. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what he said about, about both of his brother Brant. Some viewed Brant's actions as some example of forgiveness, which is what I just said and did. Uh, a moment of grace and tenderness briefly bridged the chasm between races. I said nothing about race and not a detail, and provide an example for all to emulate. Say, this is what Jamar Tisby said. Some viewed Brant's actions as a stunning example of forgiveness. A moment of grace and tenderness briefly bridged the chasm between races provide an example for all to emulate. Although Christians of different backgrounds share a variety of responses, this moment was especially celebrated by white Christians. It seemed to indicate a desire haste to move on from the wrong done and offer a perfect picture of reconciliation. Yeah, that's uh, that's really sad. Uh, again, you know what I did most of the show tonight was about my opinion of the egregious injustice that was served. The whole process was perverse. Uh, I said people should have been charged. Dallas Police Department, police chief should go. District Attorney should go. Whoever that was is corrupt. Dallas Police is corrupt. They're filthy. However, uh, that changes nothing about 
the individual need of Amber Geiger to repent and trust Christ as a Savior. And what Brandt did is something that few other people could do. I don't think anyone else uh, it could have happened outside the courtroom could have expressed that to her. Certainly, no one with the same perspective as far as being the victim's brother. And hopefully that will impact her. Hopefully, you know, she will have some time now, even if it's only two or four years, to think about who Christ is and uh, what she, uh, not what she's done, but what she can do. What she can do if she trusts Christ. Now God can change her. Not what she can do, but what Christ has done for her. You've listened to the KRP radio show, Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller. Again, I thank Pudgy for the opportunity to use his platform at least once a month. I will hope to be back next month, which will be November. Uh, let's see. November, the last day of the month, will be the 29th. This is the KRP radio show. Thank you. Have a good night. KRP radio!